Uh, as I was looking at Philippians chapter 2, I, we normally say, or if we want to talk about humility, that is the greatest portion uh, which stands out all the time. I was praying and feeling and I was saying, when I need to approach this portion of the scripture from the different perspective. Yes, in one way or the other, we can talk about humility, if God allows. But I felt we needed to approach it from the different uh, perspective. And uh, our sermon for today uh, is being beneficial to others being beneficial to others. The biggest question is, how can I be beneficial to others? And how can I be beneficial to the community where God has placed me? And how can I be beneficial to the church? How can I be beneficial to my Neighbors, all of us, we know the book of Philippians is why it was written. Paul was thanking the Philippians for helping him and uh, uh, the time of need. By the way, I could want to say thank you so much, uh, East Park, for your partnership. Thank you so much for your prayers. I was blessed to see my picture there. I'm one of your missionaries somewhere. I really appreciate you so much. Thank you so much and God bless you so much. Amen. Uh, so, going back to our message for today. Paul was writing to the Philippians and uh, he was thanking them. But he took the opportunity to give further instructions to the church of Philip. And his central point was simple. He said, uh, only in Christ we have unity and joy possible. Where the Christ has your model of humility and service, you can enjoy oneness of purpose, attitude, goal, and labor. Though Paul was thanking the Philippians for what they have done for him, he used the opportunity to give them some more instructions. And I feel this is one of the this is one of the portion which came on the way when he was writing. So putting that in back of our mind, we have a question. And the question is, how can I be beneficial to my neighbor? How can I be beneficial to my church? How can I be beneficial? The answer to that question, it is very simple. I would feel like uh, after giving that answer, I could sit down. <laughs> So the answer is very, very simple. It is in verse 
1 and 2. If we look back on this verse, it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Yes, I know you love me. I know you support me. I know you bless me. I know we work together. I know, but I am sensing something going on. You are not like-minded. That is what I think uh, Paul was talking to the church. He was like, I think you are not like-minded. But I want you to feel free. Yes, I appreciate you so much for what you are doing for me. I appreciate you so much for being a support. But may I pray that you fulfill my joy by being like mine. He continued to say, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Again, brings back the mind. How can we be beneficial to our neighbor? How can, how can our church benefit from us? What about our community? When the people see us, do they see us as a people who have the same love? We speak the same. We communicate the same. We relate the, the same. If something bad happens to your friend, are you there for that person? Do you have same, same language? As the church, do you have one purpose? Do you have the same purpose? Do you have the same goal? Or there are divisions among us. The Philippians, I will not say here. All these divisions going on. In other words, Paul was saying, yes, you have blessed me. You have blessed me. You have loved on me. Uh, you have cared for me. But this is my prayer. I want you, one, be the people having the same love. Two, being of one accord, that is unity. Actually, unity, that's one of the prayers Jesus prayed in John 17. That is something which he best so man. And then being of one mind. When we come as the body of Christ and we are not together, we don't have the same mind, we, have, we don't have the same love, uh, we, we will not fulfill what God has called us to fulfill in our community, in our church, 
in our neighborhood, wherever we are. Amen? Amen. Verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in, in loneliness, I could say humility of mind, let each esteem others better than they are. If I esteem you and you esteem me, if we esteem each other, if, if we put our, our neighbors, our brothers and our sisters as number one priority in our lives, what would be the better world to live in? What would be the better world to live in? We'll have peace, we'll have unity, everything will go on smoothly. We ask ourselves another question. Why are we here? Do I contribute to my community? Do I contribute in this church? Or I have my own agendas? That's what Paul is trying to address here on verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Ask yourself a question. Why am I here? Stephen, why are you here? Have you here to fundraise? Or you have, you have come here to be part of the body? Or you are here to bless? Why am I here? It's really, it's really a very big question. Uh, when we look on verse three, we have the words like selfish ambition and uh, another word which I was looking at, let each other esteem others better than they are. I think if we are to do that, it means we will be able to love our friends, we will be able to support them, we will be able to care for them. In other words, we will be people who are beneficial to them. Paul continued to say in verse 4, he said this, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. What does my friend need? What are the needs of my brother? What are the needs of my friend? What's, what are the needs of my sister? I think as the body of Christ, we are called to serve. Or as children of God, we are called to serve others. If we do not serve, 
we live for nothing. If I am not here to serve you, my being here benefits nobody. So our being here is you to serve your neighbor so that your neighbor can benefit from you. Verse, when we ponder on verse 5 up to verse 11, it says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. In most cases, it, we do not have the mind of Christ. Why don't we have the mind of Christ? I ask the, the question. Oh, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? What was the mind of Jesus? What was the mind of Jesus? Jesus, he came to serve. He served and he served whoever he was meeting. But to us today, because Paul was communicating to the Philippians clearly, and then he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, the very nature of God, did not consider it lowly to be equal with God. Did not consider equality with God, nothing to be grasped. But made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of the servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We look at the mind of Christ in two ways, objectively and subjectively. Objectively, what I've just read, that is what it was. That is what caused the events of Christ's incarnation to happen. Jesus, he emptied himself. He relinquished. It was like a powering it everything. He left. Jesus, before he came, he would be in all places at once. But when he decided to come to save me, to set us free, to serve us, he chose to be in one place at a time. In other words, he emptied his, his whole being. He emptied his, his whatever belonged to him. 
He said, I want to redeem the humankind. I want to serve them. I want them to benefit. So let me go as a child. Imagine God himself. The Bible says nobody could see God and remain alive. But Jesus, he emptied his debt. His, he, he left his majesty. He left everything which you could mention, which you could talk about Jesus, being a God, being God. And he came. He served us. If, if we are to serve our community, if we are to bless our neighbors, if we are to benefit others, if we are to be beneficial to them, emptying ourselves is a key. That's why Apostle Paul is saying to the Philippians, he tells them, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus could, did not hold on what was lightly his. He said, I have to let it go. I have to let it go. I have to, to let my majesty, I have to let all my honor, I have to let everything go so that humankind can benefit from me as their God. If we are to, to benefit others, we must be willing to pour out or empty ourselves so that our neighbors and our brothers can benefit. We say, I only love those who love me. In the kingdom of God, it does not work that way. I only serve those who serve me. In the kingdom of God, it does not do that way. It's vice versa. In the kingdom of God, we don't have rights. We don't have human rights. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I know the entire world is fighting for human rights. In the kingdom of God, there's no human rights to me. There is only one right in the kingdom of God is to serve others. We die for others. Why do people in the world fight for human rights? Because they don't want to die. But in the kingdom of God, we die. Can you turn to your neighbor and ask that person a question? Are you willing to die for me? Ask your neighbor. Are you willing to die? for me so that I can be a better person tomorrow. That's what Jesus did. Jesus died for us. And that is, and that is the mind. When Jesus was on the cross, Jesus did not retaliate. Jesus did not fight back 
Jesus could have called all the region to kill the people who were looking for him. He could, he could have called the angel, the heavenly host, to come and fight for him. But no. He could not do that. So, my dear friends, brothers and sisters, let, let me ask a question to us. Why are we not willing? Why are we not willing to die for others, for our friends? What is that hindering us? Is it self? Is it pride? Is it my community where I stay, my parents? Why am I not willing? You know, to have the same love, to have the same mind, to be in one accord, it calls for sacrifice. There are things which we need to let it go. This is my right. This is mine. This is my right. There are things which we, ne we need to let go. It is the only way. In my life, I am still working on them. Others have conquered them. Others I'm still working on them. In my life, there are people whom I don't want to go to speak to. The reason is because they dress differently. So I am not able to benefit to be beneficial to them which means I am critic. It means I'm self-centered. It means I call myself so, so much righteous person. And that one becomes a hindrance for me to go and serve those people. What is that holding us? What is that holding you? Known to serve others. What is that holding you? There are so many things in the world. I could mention this. I could even your parents could be a hindrance. Even your people you are staying with could be a hindrance. Some people ask me back in Uganda, why are you educating the children? Will they, will, will they remember you? Why? They have, they have questions. Then I sit down and I say, Lord, why am I doing this? 
It means also I've started to doubt in myself in what I'm doing. So the pressure of my community, now they are asking me, why? Are you able, will, will they remember you? Will they praise your God? I think my only responsibility is to do what God has called me to do, and then God does the rest. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he died for the entire world. But there were very few people by then who knew Jesus. Very few people. God had the faith and said, let me love these people. They are unlovable. They don't appreciate. They do whatever they want to do. Let me love on them. Hoping that one day we will appreciate. So, what is that holding us? Me, I've told you what holds me sometimes. The pressure, even the sin. Even sin can hold us. Even sin, sin can hold us. Recently, I was, uh, I was uh, on the YouTube. I was on the YouTube trying to see this and this, and then, and then I was trying to see the, some action movies, and then, and, then, and then suddenly, mature pictures came on. And I clicked a button, and like, pew, pew, pew. Do you know what it does? It drains all the anointing. And, and, and I was talking to my daughter, I think, yesterday. I say, you have a problem in the US. I think the problem is dirty pictures. There are people who do not, who do not have the power to click the button. By the touch of the button, I, I was saying to God, I was like saying, God, I was saying a different thing and this one happened and then I clicked on it and then I, I'm like trying to, you know, I'm like, Lord, what is this? You know, there's nothing God does and he doesn't have a purpose. Sin and anything inappropriate drains out of the anointing from you and you are no longer able to be effective. You are no longer able to bless others. What is that holding you back? So that you don't have the same mind? So that you, 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 you are not of one accord? So that others cannot benefit from you? There are, there, are, there are things in life which we really need to let go and block out from them completely. If I am a leader, if I am a pastor, if I am a child of God, 
People are looking for me. God has a purpose for me. And God has a purpose for us. But praise Jesus. Jesus gave us a free will. I have a free will, and you have a free will to be a person whom God has called you to be. Amen? Okay. Having the mind of Christ, we can understand it deeply in these, in these areas. One is through attitude, initiative, and motivation. What do I mean by attitude? I mean having perspective. Attitude. Paul says, he took upon himself the very nature of a servant. That it was his attitude. He said, yes, I know I am God. But, but let this nature of being a servant, let this nature be the one which I am taking. This is the way Jesus saw himself. Jesus did not do it for one day, or for one hour, or for one minute. Or he did not do it for a month, and then he stopped. This is what Jesus viewed himself. He says, Jesus says in his word, he says, the son of man, he came, known to, he came to serve, but not to be served. He also says somewhere, if you want to be greater in the kingdom of God, you must be servants of all. This was the lifestyle of Jesus. It was his pursuit. This brings me to another question. Why don't we have the mind of Christ in us? How much do we want the mind of Christ in us? For Jesus, it was a perspective. It was a pursuit. It was a passion. Jesus Christ, he lived it every day, every day minute of his life. What about initiation? Initiative. What do I mean by this? Three things sums up this. That is conscious, irrevocable, and courageous commitment. It was cautious for him. We count the cost and we know exactly what we are doing. Conscious for Jesus. Jesus, he counted the cost. He knew what he exactly he was doing. He acknowledged his possession. He did not consider it equality with God. Even though he was in the form of God, he knew that. Yet we are told that he did not cling to that. 
if you need, if I need to, to have the mind of Christ. I need to know that very, very carefully. I need to count the cost. So we are told to have the same mind of initiative. We look carefully of what is rightly ours and we let it go. What is rightly yours and mine and we let it go. Also, it was irrevocable commitment. Commitment is a commitment. But sometimes when things happen, when the pressure of the world happen, we change. But circumstances must never change commitment. If people are abusing me, if don't appreciate me, I am committed on loving them. I am committed on serving them. Courageous. You know, this was a courageous commitment. When you have the mind of Christ, it has to be courageous. You, you, you have, you know, courageous uh, talks about a lot, but one stands out. There must be somebody who is willing to take a lead and others follow. Take a lead and others will follow you. Then you will be able to serve others. Motivation. What did motivate Jesus? You know, there are three things which are cardinal, which motivated Jesus to possess such a mind. One, it is reverence. He says in John 5.30, this is what he said, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not only to please myself, but him who sent me. He knew that was reverence. Righteousness. He says, I have not come to abolish the law, but fulfill, fulfill it. Matthew 5.17. Hebrews 10.7 quotes from the Psalms. He says like this, I have come to do your will, O God. Jesus humbled himself and actually put himself under the law. Yes, we know we are no longer under the law. But Christ fulfilled the law for us, but we are under the law of Christ, which is much more greater than the old law. Another thing which, uh, which motivated Jesus, it was a reward. You know, we normally look for the reward here. We normally look for the reward here on earth. I serve you and you reward me. I love you. I bless somebody whom I am expecting to bless me back. That is the mind of all of us. Hebrews 2, Hebrews 12 of 2 says that 
let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for joy set before him endurance the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew that. He knew that after everything, he's going to be rewarded. He's going to go back to his place, which he was before. So our reward, it's not here. Therefore, there is a reward after everything. Some of us will say, yeah, I'm working. I'm not, I don't want a reward. No, 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 no. Even, even Paul, in one, one, somewhere in the Bible says, after I minister, I go back and check myself so that I am not disqualified. As I conclude, let me go back and ask this question before, which I've already asked. What is that hindering you not to be beneficial to others? That's really a cardinal question. To me, I said one, critic, being a critic, the moment I begin to criticize others, I will not serve them. Two, I've told you mine, the second one, the pressure of others around me. If I don't guard myself from the pressure, I will not serve where God has placed me to serve. In Uganda, we serve a lot of people from different families, different religion, Muslims, witch doctors, so many. We gather them, we serve them. They change. There is one boy who comes from the family of a witch doctor. Somebody bewitches you and you die. He uses demonic spirits and you die. We are sponsoring a kid from that family. He is in boarding school. When that kid went back at home, he said to the parents, he said, for me, I've stopped what you are doing, and I want to become a pastor. Every morning, he could wake up, wake them up, up and pray. Evening, before they go to bed, he could gather them and they pray. But the pressure around me says, why are you doing this? Another pressure which all of us, we need to guard ourselves, is sin. Whether it's, it's being sin, sinable, somebody can see it, seeable, or it is hidden. Do you know what it, it does? It drains all the anointing. God has called us. God has called you. God has called we as the body so that we can benefit each other. What is that holding you? Remember these three things. Having the same love, being of one accord, 
and being of one, of one mind, which is the mind of Jesus. Amen? Amen. God bless you so much.